Hello again, and welcome back to the Rice Kill Eat podcast. My name is Tyler Pruitt, and I am your host for today's episode. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today. You'll have to forgive me a little bit. My I'm a little bit under the weather right now, so hopefully I don't sound too stuffy for you guys. But something has bloomed here in Kentucky, and it is trying to get the best of me. So allergies are are cranked up quite a bit right now. But uh, so you have to you have to give me give me a little bit of grace on that one. So if this is your first time listening to the Rice Kill Eat podcast, I want to welcome you and invite you to go ahead and subscribe today. Leave a rating on iTunes once you're done listening. Let me know what you think about it. Uh, ratings on iTunes is how podcasts have the opportunity to grow and begin to gain momentum. So leaving a review would be great to help keep this movement going. And if this is, if you are a returning listener and you're returning for another episode, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Rice Kill Eat podcast. And welcome back. I'm glad you're enjoying it so far. But in today's episode... I'm going to dive a little bit further in one of my favorite hunting related books. We've talked about it before is the Beyond Fair Chase by Jim Posowitz. So we're going to kind of look at another section of Posowitz's book and uh, kind of dive into into a little bit more of that. I'm going to discuss what Posowitz lays out as the evolution of the American hunter. So for those of you guys who have listened to or excuse me, for those of you guys who have read this uh, this, this evolution of American Hunter is how kind of how Posowitz wraps up his, his book. So it's the kind of the summary of everything that he gets into. And it just gets further into where we've come as hunters in, in North America and kind of our responsibilities for continuing, continuing to keep on going in that direction. But over the centuries and even past handful of decades, American hunters have grown and evolved into who we are today. Today, American hunters are challenged to be providers of habitat, general conservationists, in addition to participators in the act of hunting. In fact, the actual participation in the act of hunting is a very small part of what it actually means to be an American hunter. That's something that Possibly really gets into in this in this section. So with that being said, let's get right into today's material. So I'm actually going to be reading straight from the book, and I'm going to be pausing a little bit and uh, kind of going over some parts that I feel are important to kind of dive into a little bit. But the evolution of an American hunter. Human ideas, perceptions, and values are constantly evolving. At the same time, the natural world that produced us remains as important as ever. The natural world sustains us with a with clean air, unpolluted water, recreation, and natural resources. If we destroy nature, we destroy ourselves. So this is obviously something that is very true for us as hunters. If we don't take the conservation of habitat, if we don't take the conservation of wildlife populations, then that's obviously going to um, it's going to reduce our resources for continuing to do what we enjoy doing. So it's important for us to have that conservation mindset and to make sure that we're taking care of taking care of the things around us so we can continue to enjoy them. Now, getting back to the book, many of us return to nature through our recreation to learn and to be recreated. I mean, how how true is that for us as hunters? Some of the most 
most recreating, some of the most reinvigorating times for us can be those times that we are able to get out and enjoy wildlife and enjoy the activity that we like to do out, out in nature. So having nature, natural resources available for us, it is going to give us that opportunity to continue the learning process and continue the recreation of ourselves as hunters. So getting back to the book here, for those of us who hunt, we hunt as hunters. We return as hunters, rather. As hunters, we enjoy the rare privilege of participating in the natural process rather than only observing it from a distance. So as hunters, we are actually in the process. We're getting our hands dirty. We're getting in there, doing the doing the things, doing the, the work that needs to be done in order for our natural resources to continue to thrive and continue to grow so that we are able to use them. Back to the book. We become, for a time, a predator like the human hunters of our distant origins. So this is kind of looking back... <clears throat> This is kind of looking back at the historical aspects of of hunting. So going back to distant origins, I mean, this could be thrown back as far as as the Bible. I mean, there there were the Bible mentions plenty of hunters. There are people who uh, it mentions plenty of archers. It could be back as far as, as as the Bible in terms of the gatherers, four tribes, and that kind of thing. And it can even be as as close to us as our own our own parents. So, dad, grandpa, great grandpa those those of us who are who are related to people who hunted. Then this is kind of a a tribute back to them. So back to the book. We are, however, a minority. So hunters are a minority, and if we are to continue, we must do it in a way that is acceptable to the majority. So we're a minority and we have to, we have to do perform. We have to conduct ourselves in a way that is going to be acceptable to the majority so that we are able to, to continue doing what we're doing. So I'm going to read that again. We are, however, a minority. And if we are to continue, we must do it in a way that is acceptable to the majority. These people do not hunt, but they support the ethical pursuit of wildlife. So the vast majority of our population, of the American population, is going to be people who don't hunt. However, there are many of those people, the vast majority of that of that group, so a subgroup of that group, who are going to support the eth- ethical pursuit of wildlife. So these people, they are okay with hunting, they're okay with the ethical pursuit. And we've got, we dove into ethics a couple episodes ago. But they're okay with the ethical pursuit, but they don't necessarily participate themselves. So we have to kind of conduct ourselves and behave in a way that is suitable to those to that group. So like before, we defined an ethical hunter as a person who knows and respects the animals hunted, follows the laws, and behaves in a way that will satisfy what society expects of him or her as a hunter. So getting back to the majority we have to conduct ourselves we have to behave in a way as hunters as a whole as hunters in a way that is acceptable for for the majority for the majority of society because we have eyes on us and if as soon as a hunter messes up or as soon as something isn't perceived the right way or 
something is blown up for in, in terms of media and something that's blown up in terms uh, or for the wrong reasons, then automatically people who are kind of on the fence about hunting have much more evidence to be able to jump, jump off the fence and either, either for or against hunting. So we have to behave and we have to conduct ourselves. We saw that a lot with uh, a few years ago with the Cecil the lion issue that was blown way out of proportion and uh, not all the facts were necessarily necessarily circulating and many many anti-hunting animal rights groups began to use that as fuel to their fire to be able to persuade people that uh that hunting that that hunting was unethical so it's very difficult for us we have a lot of eyes on us and as, as soon as we make a mistake quote unquote a mistake certain groups are going to be able to to jump right on right on us and uh, be able to use it like I said as, as fuel for their fire. So getting back to the book here. This definition recognized that we must be responsive to what the rest of the people think about hunting and hunters. All right, so it's easy for us to it's easy for us just to throw our hands and be like, "Well, I don't care what everybody else thinks cuz I want to do what I want to do." But Although that may be true and you may want to think that it's not necessarily going to, that's not necessarily going to be the case because of all the eyes that we have on us because uh, of the way that information is moved in today's world. We don't necessarily have the luxury of just doing whatever we want and showing whatever we want and those kind of things. So we have to behave in a way that's ethical in the pursuit of wildlife. So that's just that's just what Possibus is really trying to get at in this in this first part here. That's really what a, a lot of his book, the entire book Beyond Fair Chase, is about, is diving into into those types of things. So back to the book, hunting is a primal activity. It is an activity that we find rewarding and recreating. So going back to what he said before, it's something that is rewarding for us. It's revigorating. It recreate recreates us. It allows us to kind of go back to our distant origin, back to our ancestral roots and gives us the opportunity to participate in something that is something that isn't necessarily, uh, necessarily being conducted by, by the majority of society. So it's a, it's a rare opportunity for a rare group to be able to, to participate in back to the book. We must remember, however, that in our modern world, each generation is more removed from nature. How true is that? I mean, with all the technology and all the types of things that we have nowadays, there are people who who don't even know how to how to act or don't even know how to handle being in the woods and being in an uh, area where uh, where natural resources are are abundant. So I'm going to read that again. So we must remember, however, that in our modern world, each generation each generation is more removed from nature. Each generation has fewer personal experiences with and an understanding of nature. So with each generation that we have, so in our future, the, this, is, this is still going to be true. I'm sure with the way that technology is growing today, this is still going to be true, is that uh, we have fewer personal experiences with nature. And as a result, as a direct correlation to that, we have fewer uh, or less understanding of that nature. So it's going to be important for us hunters and us modern day conservationists to continue to push hunting and continue to push outdoor recreation as a means of sustaining our natural resources. 
So we have to have these things available so that we can continue to participate in recreation. Because the thing about wildlife is once it's gone, it's we're not going to be able to get it back. You can't artificially make wildlife. So that's what that's why uh, you know about a hundred hundred ish years ago, uh, Theodore Roosevelt were the past a lot of legislation to in order for us to preserve wildlife and. Thank goodness he did because it could have it could have gone gone tragically very quickly. So back to the book. If hunting is going to be acceptable in a changing society, we must address change and our own evolution as hunters. So going back to taking ownership of our own behavior, taking ownership of the things that we're doing. So we have to we have to address change and our own evolution as hunters. Now. He gets into uh, into a list here of what critics of hunting find objectionable. All right, so he gets into things that uh, that that I think we would all agree. I would hope we would all agree with as as hunters and the things that people that are watching hunters, people that are watching uh, people who participate in hunting, are going to find objectionable. So things that are viewed as negative. All right, so unethical hunter behavior killing only for a trophy and killing for fun any true american hunter today is going to be objectionable to this so we have to be as a result we have to be our own critics we have to be our own worst critics we have to hold ourselves to a to a certain standard so that we are so we're not doing these types of things. And it doesn't seem as if we're doing these types of things. All right. So again, that's unethical hunter behavior. All right. So we did two episodes ago, I believe it was, we did a episode where we talked about the ethics of hunting. So go back listen to that. Tell me what you think about it. Send in an email and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit more if we need to, but unethical hunter behavior. I think that's something that everybody finds objectionable, whether you are for hunting or, against hunting you're going to find that you're going to find that objectionable also killing only for a trophy again if you are for hunting or you are against hunting that's something that should be viewed as negative now this is one of the more tricky things in terms of being a hunter because whenever you shoot a big buck whenever you shoot a turkey with an 11 inch beard you're going to want to share that picture especially on social media you're going to want to share that with your friends so this is where the dichotomy kind of occurs the balance kind of occurs is that whenever we are posting these types of pictures it's important for us i think at least for me i like to show kind of the after effects of it i'm going to of course show show the deer give the animal the respect that it that it deserves and show off the the accomplishment that i was able to achieve but at the same time, I'm going to show a little bit of me cooking that animal. I'm going to show some, maybe share some recipes that kind of go along with it. Uh, I mean, there's there are all kinds of all kinds of things that we can do to kind of share not only the 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 trophy side of the animal, but also the other resources that that animal is able to provide for us. And then the, the final thing that Possibly dives into here is the killing for fun, and. In, hunting is fun otherwise i mean i don't think anybody would enjoy it we we all enjoy getting out there anybody who enjoys hunting we all enjoy getting out there and being able to have the opportunity to pursue wildlife and to to chase after these wild things and it is fun but that is not that shouldn't be 
the only reason that that you're doing this. The way I kind of envision this hunting for fun that Postwitz is uh, listing here is to just, just shoot an animal and just leave it laying out in the field. So you, so the the fun, the work ends at pull the pull of the trigger. Now, for a true hunter, for a true American hunter, that's only half the half the job. So whenever you pull the trigger and the animal's on the ground, you're only halfway done with your actual with the actual process because then you have to process it. Well, you have to locate it and then you have to process it, cook it, those types of things. So what Possibus is is describing here as objectionable is that killing for fun process where you pull the trigger and you're done. All right, and then back to the book. He gets back into uh, and kind of shows the flip side of it. So the aspects of hunting that are seen as positive are hunting for food, hunting to manage wildlife populations, hunting as a way of appreciating nature through participation and the conservation achievements of hunters. So these are the things that, uh, that Postowitz describes as kind of the flip side, the positive side of hunting. So obviously hunting for food. If you are not hunting for food, then you should, in my opinion, you should not be hunting. And this doesn't necessarily have to be your food. You don't necessarily have to eat it. Uh, but find somebody that, that would eat that food. So if you shoot a deer and your freezer's already full, you've got a tag left in your pocket, you shoot that deer, find a family that can, that can use that meat because there are always going to be people who are needing food. There are always going to be people who want to store food up. So find somebody that is, is wanting to use that food. So hunting for food is obviously going to be, to be something that, uh, I should be at the, at the top of the list as far as our priorities go for why we want to hunt hunting to manage wildlife populations. So in Kentucky, we have a pretty, in, in terms of, uh, comparing to other States, we have quite a bit of deer that we're able to actually take. And a lot of this comes down to our, uh, management of wildlife populations. So we have an abundance. We have quite a bit, uh, a pretty good population, pretty good steady population of whitetail deer right now. So we are able to take more because of this, the management of the wildlife population. So this is something that is positive for us going forward, hunting as a way of appreciating nature through participation. So this kind of, this kind of is a, uh, is a reoccurring theme here, but getting out in nature and being able to appreciate nature itself, being able to appreciate God's creation through the participation of hunting is something that is, it's a, uh, it's difficult to to replicate in other ways so being able to get out appreciate nature through participation is obviously going to be something that is is positive for hunters and finally the last thing that Postowitz mentions here is the conservation achievements of hunters so a couple i guess it was about a, a century and a half ago two centuries ago there were many populations of different animals that were nearly wiped out or could potentially be uh or or were uh completely wiped out so things like the american buffalo um wild turkey uh different subspecies of elk there are different types of different species of animals that were nearly wiped out because of unregulated hunting so since then we have worked hard as hunters and worked hard as I mean, there's so many different people involved in this process, but 
hunters have kind of have kind of with the, today's American uh, conservation model. Hunters have been came, able to kind of fork over the bill, pour, fork over the money to pay the bill that is required to uh, bring these to, I guess, resurrect these types of animals, these species of animals. So the National Wild Turkey Federation has done a great job at uh, bringing back the the wild turkey population to what we are today. Um, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, they have done a great job with with relocating animals and trying to get those animals back to where they were, uh, you know, a couple hundred years ago and living in native locations. And uh, American bu- uh, buffalo, those are, that's still a work in progress, but we have made made much progress in the past 100, 150 years in bringing back the buffalo population, the wild buffalo population. So that is, of course, going to be those types of conservation success stories are going to be important and be uh, positive things for for hunters. So back to the book, carrying forward here, cultivating a profound respect for wildlife and the land will affect how we behave as hunters, how we act as citizen conservationists and the how the public perceives us that in turn will affect what happens to the land. And it is the land as wild as we can sustain it, that both the hunter and the hunted need to survive. So if we're going to continue participating in hunting, if we're going to continue being hunters, then we're going to need the land. We're going to need the animals to be able to live in the land, be able to have the habitat that they need in order for us to, to continue the opportunity of hunting is kind of how Postowitz is wrapping this book up. So again, that was Beyond Fair Chase. That was the final section that Postowitz gets into is the evolution of the American hunter. So he really, uh, really does a, does a great job in this book of, of laying everything out. And it's a, it's a very short book. It's only about 110 pages or so, 113 pages or so. So he does a great job of, of laying out the framework of, of what it means to be a hunter and what it means to be an ethical hunter kind of dives into the why of, of hunting and how, and how being a hunter is a, is a great privilege for us in, in the uh, North American conservation model. So I, I definitely recommend going, going to check that out. Thank you guys for, for taking some time and listening today. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to write in. You can write in at uh, rkeafield at gmail.com. Check out rkeafield.com. That's where all of our merchandise is available. We got some pretty awesome shirts. We have the full, full curl tee that just released about a month ago. So make sure you go and check that out. It's uh, got a pretty awesome sheep, bighorn sheep skull on the front of it. It's an awesome looking tee. It's great fit. And uh, it's on there right now, $24. So go ahead and check that out. We also got a couple hats on there. So make sure you check out rkeafield.com with all of our merchandise. Also, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. I've got some pretty awesome guests lined up here uh, coming up in the, hopefully in the next month or so, we'll have some guests coming up where that'll come on and they'll sh- they'll share their ideas of hunting. They'll share their, share their stories and why they enjoy hunting, how it makes them a better person. Those kind of things is how what we're going to dive into on this podcast. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about where this podcast is going to go in the future. So make sure you go ahead and subscribe that way. You don't miss out on anything. Rice Kill Elite Podcast. Also find RKU Field on Facebook and Instagram. You can find them facebook.com slash RKU Field. 
And then uh, Instagram handle is at RKEField. So just go on there, give us a like, give us a follow. That way you can stay up to date on all of our apparel, stay up to date on this podcast, stay up to date on all things that we're doing with the RKEField brand. All right. So thank you guys again for, for checking us out. I'm, I'm excited about where this is going. So make sure you make sure you stay caught up here. All right. So you guys have a good day. God bless.